Psalm 29, 1 through 2 says, Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Worship the Lord in splendor, in the splendor of holiness. That is why we've gathered. We've gathered in this, the midst of this throng of heavenly angels and archangels and all of those who are gathered before the Lord's throne today. We worship with them together in His presence. Let's pray together. O oh, merciful and loving Creator, we greet you in the name of your Holy Son, Jesus Christ, who did not consider His own life something to be hoarded, but gave it up freely for the people you had given to him to trade us life for death and peace for warfare. In his suffering and death on the cross, we were raised to spiritual life and fellowship with you. In his taking upon himself of the fury and war of your wrath against our sin, we were issued into the peace and tranquility of eternal, everlasting holiness and harmony with our, with our Creator. How can this not drive us to the throne of grace in thanksgiving, adoration, and worship? So we thank you this morning for the grace and the mercy that you have shown to us. We thank you for Christ crucified. We thank you for the mediation of the Holy Spirit who applies the work of Christ to each of us personally. We thank you that you did not redeem us just to set us back on the doomed path of self-sufficiency and autonomy, but that you saved us to be our God and to make us your children, your beloved possessions. And in this adoption, we thank you that you now nurture us and provide for our every need, both spiritual and physical. We also come this morning in supplication as you commanded us that we might bring our needs and our petitions before you, acknowledging you as the only source of life and our well-being. We pray for your blessings on our church and those who lead her. We pray for our congregation, that you would grow us into a rich and beautiful bride of Christ as you intended. We pray that you would strengthen those who congregate here, our families, Father, Father, those who, with whom we have fellowship with. We pray that you would grow us up, conform us to the image of your Son. And Lord, we pray that you would meet those needs that you know all too well. We praise you and thank you, Father, that you know our needs more intimately, more deeply than we could. What we have, we have at your hand, and that only because of the compassion and the sacrifice of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So it is in his blessed name that we pray all of these things. Amen. Our scripture is going to come from Ruth chapter 2, 1 through 4. You can begin to turn there. In the story of Ruth so far, we've seen God pour out His grace on a people, an Israelite widow and a foreigner, 
widow. He showed, remember the Hebrew word chesed, kindness to Naomi. First by relieving the famine, bringing bread back to Bethlehem. Then, in an unexpected way, through her Moabite daughter-in-law. Well, we're going to continue to see him demonstrate his grace, but now the story changes just a little bit. It's not Naomi that we focus on this morning. It's Ruth. And he does that, shows this grace to her through someone new, Boaz. We get our first glimpse at him today, and it's just going to be a glimpse. This is one of those sort of wrangly chapters where there's a whole lot packed in. So we're just going to get a touch of Boaz and his beginning part in this story. And in him, we're going to see a clear picture of Christ and his work. We're going to find Boaz to be this perfect pointer to our Savior. So if you will, let's stand together for the reading of God's Word. Again, Ruth chapter 2, verses 1 to 4. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come into the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, again, thank you for your word. Thank you that you have not left us without your voice. We pray that you would do what you have promised to do, that you would not allow this word to return void, but that you would accomplish all that you intend through it. We pray that you would strengthen by it, that you would convict, that you would comfort, and that you would grow us as the people that you intend for us to be through it. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. How do you look? You ever ask that question? Right, you go to your friend and you go, how do I look? How do I look? Am I the only one that asks that question? No, I hope not. You all look marvelous, by the way. You're welcome. How do, how do I look? How do you look? It's an important question. We ask it sometimes because we want some reassurance. It's right. It's, well, I knew I looked okay, but I just wanted to make sure. Right? Sometimes we ask it because there is an implied idea. Others will be looking at us. So in some ways, we're asking, how do I look? We're asking, so when other people look at me, what are they going to see? 
okay. Some ways I'm asking, how will I look to them? Of course, we're assuming something here. It's the unasked question. One that you might not have thought about. How do you want to look? Or better, how are you supposed to look? Do you think about that? When you ask that, how do I look? Maybe you have an idea in your mind of how you want to look. But it's worth asking. What do you want others to see when they look? Well, this in large part, the answer to that question in large part is going to depend on how you look. It will depend on what it is that shapes your vision of you, of other people, and of life. So we ask this, how are you supposed to look? What are others supposed to see? Well, today we're going, I think, to begin to get an answer to that. We're going to see what it looks like when God just so happens to show up. We're going to see what he does and how what he does and our knowing what he does shapes our view of everything. When God just happens to show up, and you'll understand that in just a few minutes, when God just happens to show up, one of the first things we could say from this passage is that he creates a place for grace. He, he creates a place for grace. In verse 1, says, Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. Don't just see that as nice historical data. It is, but it's important to everything we're going to see in Ruth. Right? That, past, that verse is loaded with all sorts of background that will make sense of everything else that we're going to see in Ruth, especially this and then verse 3, um, when it says that uh, Naomi went out and gleaned in a field after the reapers and one of the fields belonged or part of the field belonged to Boaz, right? All of that is sort of uh, needs this sort of black background explanation, some of which you'll know. But don't just see these as you know, data from the historical a social structure of a people. There's more going on than that. So there are three major groups right? in Israel. In Israel's history, right, as a people, there are three major groups. Right? You've got the tribe. Then you've got the clan. And then you've got the family. Right? The tribe, the clan, the family. I'm not going to make you do that with me, but I'll... The tribe, 
the cl- see, the kids are doing it. Kids, you can do this with me, right? The tribe, no, okay, no. The clan, right? The family, thank you, sir. Very simple, tribe, clan, family. Right? You got all the tribe of Judah, and then within this tribe, you've got the clan of Limelech. And then within that, you got these families. It's important. It's important to know for a big reason, and that's land. Ownership of land was huge. And again, this isn't just a dry, dusty, historical data point. It's a primary economic base, right? You've got land. Now we can go, that takes us all the way back to Israel's beginnings, right? What did God do? He promised land. And eventually, he took this people that he had formed and shaped, and he marched them out of Egypt, right, the Exodus, and then he marched them into Canaan, and they defeated the enemies, and then they obtained the land. So you got this land that goes to each tribe. And portions of that land within the tribe goes to the clan. And then portions of that land that belongs to the clan goes to the family. God gifted land to everyone according to their size and their need. That land was inalienable, right? You couldn't lose it, right? Or even sell it permanently. Why? Here's, here's the key, right? It's the, the key to their wholeness, their security, their provision as a people. In this way, God cared for his people. He cares for them. He'd, give them, he'd given them what they needed, safety, sustenance, all that they needed for life. Right, so you're getting, this is the background, and it is the crisis that is happening in this book right now for Naomi. She's out there. These are all the open questions. What's going to happen? What land is she going to land in? What needs to happen? God's so serious about keeping the land and ensuring its maintenance within the clan and the family gave laws. This is, and this is where we start to see some of the beauty of the laws. Like, for instance, the law of Jubilee. If the land was sold because of debt or need, if a person sold themselves into slavery for debt at a certain time in history, guess what? Free! Release! Release from the debt, and the land is returned to the family. Restoration. Same thing with Levite laws, right? Not live right. I think this is how you leverite. Liberate. Right. Someone's widowed, a living brother, takes that brother's wife, continues the name, the land possession remains in the family. Also, the kinsman redeemer laws. 
right? If someone has lost property or went into slavery, you've got a redeemer, right? This near relative that can redeem it or them or both and restore them. And then you have gleaning laws. Laws that reach out to those who've lost property, who've lost status. Enter Naomi, Ruth. Widows and orphans. Or those who have no portion with the people. Again, like foreigners. They're to be cared for as well by these gleaning laws. And all of this sort of stems from this this concrete thing, this land. All of it. you got to keep that in the background again. You can't lose sight of this as we read through Ruth in general, but particularly in this chapter, chapter 2. God's intention was to have a people for himself. In fact, we could say it like this, right? We've been talking about, right, we've been preaching through the, uh, the Lord's Prayer. Right? The central sort of piece of that is the kingdom. You know, an easy way to think about the kingdom is God, people, place. God, people, place. If you want to track the idea of the kingdom going all the way through Scripture, it's God, people, place. God is going to have a people for himself over which he will rule and they will worship and obey him in a particular place. That's God's intention. To that people he showed great mercy and love and commitment. They are his and he is theirs and he gives these great benefits to them. You're my people. This is what it means to be my people. All that I have given to you. These are those benefits. He pours out great abundance and blessing. And then he sets up the community in such a way that ensures that the people continue the celebration and enjoyment of his goodness. So in that background, what you see is the character of God. His grace, His mercy, His compassion, His goodness shown in concrete ways by His redemption and His restoration. He gives, He provides, and He protects. So when God just happens to show up, that's what He did and is doing creating a place of grace. Secondly, when God just happens to show up, He leads to this place of grace. Look at verses 2 through 3. This environment that I just described, this place of grace, this history that I just described, this is where Ruth seeks for this grace. At first, only by hearing, but now she's going to move into that environment, needing, anticipating grace to be shown to her and Naomi by faith. Verse 2, listen to this. 
And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him, in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in a field after the reapers, and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was the clan of Elimelech. It just so happens. Don't miss that. She happened to come to the field. In Hebrew, it literally says, her chance chanced on the allotted field of Boaz. Chance. Right now, when we read, it's the, 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 the Hebrew writer here didn't forget that he was talking about God. It's deliberate. It's intended to get your intention. To say it that way, one, one writer, it's a hyperbolic irony. Oh, she just so happened to come to that field. Another writer says, this screams, and this is the important thing, what God reveals here, his providence. His providence expressed in this grace. It's been working out all this time. All this historical data has been working and it's moving in this direction. And it shows up here. It's stated that way. She just happened to go to the field to make you stop, slow down, and look at what God is doing. How he actually leads and guides and draws this foreigner and this widow to the place where grace is found. That's what I want you to see by these first two points. They're sort of like land clearing, but it's important land clearing. But that God creates a place of grace and that God leads to this place of grace. The same God, the same God that called Israel out of Egypt, that created her. The same God that gave the land as a gift, that gave this provision and safety, set up laws to maintain the enjoyment of his goodness. The same God that reveals his grace and his merciful character in all that he had done up to this point does not just open up the possibility, but he actually leads this woman to drink deep of his goodness. We see a theme here, a theme that I hope begins to shape us, or is already shaping us. You see this theme of God calling a foreign people, Gentiles, to this city on a hill where he is. That thing that Naomi had a hard time holding on to that we heard last week. We're seeing that she's finding that he really is meeting her here in his return of the people to the land. So we've got God creating a place of grace, God leading to this place of grace. And the last thing that we see in this passage, and here's where we're going to really sort of hang out. God grows a people of grace. Again, we're just touching on this with Boaz this morning. But well, you're going to see this all through chapter 2, even in more detail. A vision for what a people of grace 
are like. What do people that have tasted God's grace actually do? How they live? What their vision of life is? We're going to see that beginning here. Ruth isn't just drawn to a field, right? It's not a field that's going to take care of her. Grace is intensely personal, meaning that it is expressed through and experienced by persons, people. So what kind of person, what kind of people makes provision for a woman like Ruth? What kind of person or people shows the gracious character of God to a woman like her? Enters Boaz. Verse 4, he says this, And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. He said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. That's it. That's all we're going to look at. The first words out of his mouth. The Lord be with you. It's not a common greeting. It's not a nod. It's not a, hey, what's up? There's a whole lot more going on in that phrase. It's of great importance to this people. God bound himself to this people, and the people are bound to him in this cord of love, right? They're sort of bound together by this cord of love. That's what we call covenant. It's a covenantal phrase, the Lord be with you, that gives us insight into this relationship. Let me give it to you from a couple of different angles, a few different ones. You just listen to this passage. Genesis 26. And the Lord appeared to him and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Dwell in the land of which I shall tell you. Sojourn in this land and... I will be with you and will bless you. For to you and to your offspring, I will give all these lands and I will establish the oath that I swore to Abraham, your father. God being with you means certainty of blessing. Certainty of promises that he has made will be fulfilled. Second, Exodus 3. 11 through 12. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, But I will be with you, and this shall be a sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve the God on this mountain. God being with you means deliverance. God will accomplish the redemption that he intends to bring about. Numbers 14:43. For the, Amal- uh, the uh, Amalekites and the Canaanites are facing you, and you shall fall by the sword, because you have turned back from following the Lord. The Lord will not be with you. God being with you means responsibility. His blessing comes because he has drawn us into this relationship with him. And we hold fast to him with a confident trust. So that little phrase, the Lord be with you, in it, Boaz distills an entire worldview with God right at the center. 
Even his greetings remind his workers to whom they belong and in whom they trust. It directs them. Hey guys, you remember why we're here? You're out here working. You remember why you're out here working? How you even got here? How we even have all this? Him. He's the one that did it. And theirs is a covenantal response. The Lord bless you. What we're seeing in just that verse is a people that's formed and shaped by this relationship with Him, with the living God, right down to their greeting. As I said, His greeting points them to Yahweh. His words give us insight into Boaz. Boaz is one who trusts the Lord, one who meditates deeply on the works of God and on his faithfulness. And you'll see this more as we move through. One who knows absolute dependence on Yahweh, the Redeemer of his people. One who feels a deep sense of gratitude for the blessings that have been given to them. This is the kind of trust, commitment, and love that can't help but come out in these relationships. Is that, is that us? Can you see that between us? The way that we engage one another the way we speak to one another. What we expect from each other. What we are willing to give to each other. Is that the kind of people, the people of grace, that you see God shaping in us here now let me say this this is one thing that we can note for sure as great as that phrase is the Lord be with you as wonderful as it is for the workers of Boaz to hear that, for it to come from his mouth. With Boaz, those words are a shadow. In those words, right, what they, what they actually are still hearing is a promise unfulfilled. A promise that's still coming. Boaz doesn't know the full meaning of those words. He doesn't know just how good the good news that he's announcing really is. But we do. You and I hear those words without the muffle. We hear it in the fullness of light. We hear it in a time when God's promise has been fulfilled. When we hear, Lord be with you, 
we hear Jesus. Thinking of Matthew 28, 18 through 20. This is after his resurrection. Jesus says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus gives this mission of spreading his kingdom and then offers great comfort. I will be with you always. Christ the King says, I will be with you always. Cross point. People of God, that is good news for the church. Not just us. That's good news for all of God's people meeting together in Greenville. That's good news for all of God's people meeting together in Texas. That's good news for all of God, God's people meeting together in the United States. That's good news for all of God's people meeting together all over the world. That is the best news. How is he with us? He provides for us redemption. We talked about this uh, the other night at Young Adult. Colossians 1. Mm. We've been talking about this. Colossians 1, 13 through 15. And notice how this tracks really nicely with what we've already said God has been doing. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is with us because because we've been placed with him in his place, which is to say in him, in his kingdom. We've been redeemed. We have our sins, as many as they are right now, Right? And every one of you is a sinful bunch. Right? right? I'm not the only sinner, right? No. Thank you. Yes. I mean, you come in here, you think about this. How how amazing this is. We we come in here, right? Come into the worship. Before the living and holy God. And we're okay. We take this for granted. That you just get to waltz into the presence of the living, holy creator of all things. Whose presence is a burning fire. Who is in inapproachable light. All that business, right? You and I, we take that for granted. That we just get to come in. We can because we are forgiven by Christ's death and resurrection. We can because he says, I am with you. 
He's with us because he leads us as he establishes his kingdom. Matthew 28, it sounds a lot like Joshua 1. When the people were going over into the land, right? To get the land to defeat the enemies, right? Joshua 1 says, Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. If you go back and read Psalm 2. Psalm 2 is this promise that God gives to his son. He says, I am going to give you the nations. They are your inheritance. We are sent out by the king of the kingdom to make proclamation. This nation is his. And, you know, we're not do this, we don't do this for a cultural, social, political motivation. It's all his for his glory, whether you believe it or not. You and I can have this great hope, this confidence. As we move out, we proclaim this kingdom. We have this hope. He's with us. I am with you. And he protects us. He protects us from our enemy, the biggest enemy. In case you didn't know that, right? The biggest enemy, Satan. Ephesians 6, Paul says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. We have cosmic enemies. Who's big enough to defeat them? Right? I mean, people are not the problem. We have this spiritual war that is taking place. Who is big enough to defeat them? When Paul talks about putting on the whole armor of God, you know what he's doing there? He's making reference to Isaiah. You know, that, that's just another way that Paul says, put on Christ. You want to know how you stand? You put on Christ. Why? Because he is our strength. He has already defeated the enemy. And he says, I am with you. Thinking individually. This is corporately what we have. Individually, we corporately too. Another passage that comes to mind is Psalm 23. 
The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Sounds tranquil, right? Now you may say, but my life's not tranquil. There's there's no cool breeze flowing through my hair. Hitting my skin. Right? No, no fields. No, I don't know why cornfields. You just sort of can rub them when they walk through them. Right? That you, none of that in your life. Okay, well, it goes on. Listen, verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Important point that that verse makes your pain and your difficulty, whatever it is, does not discount the shepherd. In fact, according to this text, in the midst of the struggle, I fear no evil for you. Why? I fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. One thing that you notice in that psalm is that it's all present tense. This is not a psalmist who is looking out into the distance or talking about the past, which they do both of those. The beautiful thing about this psalm is that he's talking about right now. You are right now, my shepherd. You are right now making me lie down, green pastures. You are right now restoring my soul. Right now leading me. Right now walking with me. Right now, I fear no evil. Because right now, you're with me. Jesus says, whatever you have that's going on in your life, he says, I know. He also says, I am with you. Always. Even to the end of of the age. He says, precious child, I'm not going anywhere. I'm with you. So people of God, do you believe that? Some of you say, yes. He's been so good. You have this, you have testimony. Some of you will say, I don't know. I, I want to. Oh, God, I want to believe that. You know what? Wherever you're landing there, Jesus says, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. May you and I, all of us here, be a broken people. A broken people fully aware of our weakness, of our pain, of our struggle, of our failure, 
But may we be a people who are also aware that Christ, the King, is with us. May we learn what it means to speak to one another that way. The Lord be with you. Did you forget? Let me remind you, the Lord is with you. I know it's hard to remember. The Lord is with you. In fact, that's why we've got to keep reminding each other that the Lord is with you. Because we forget very easily that the Lord is with you. May we be a people for whom those words give an indescribable comfort. Because it's that kind of people It's the kind of people that believe that that are the kind of people that make provision for a woman like Ruth. That's where it comes from. It's that kind of people through whom God displays His grace and His mercy and offers hope to a world that so desperately needs it. Amen? you will take your supper cup and again remember you'll want to open the top first the very top First Corinthians 11, Paul says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it, in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. As we eat and drink, people of God, remember your Savior is saying, he's giving you these concrete things you can taste, touch, and smell, through which he says to you, I am with you. The gifts of God for the people of God. Take and eat. Take and drink. Let's pray. Father, again, we thank you for This word, we pray again that you will do through this word, do through this food what you have promised to do to strengthen us. To enable us to see you, to know you, to trust you in all things. In Christ's name, amen.
Let's stand together and worship.